Welcome to Champions of Care, a Champion Chair podcast and your go-to resource for industry-leading insights regarding medical seating and their applications. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Champions of Care, a Champion Chair podcast. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Champion Chairs Show. We appreciate you joining us for some care industry thought leadership. As we explore today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, championchair.com. Again, championchair.com. For more information on our solutions and services, and of course, for more Champion Chair content, including episodes of the show, videos, articles, blogs, and more. You can also find more episodes of Champions of Care on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. So this past year has really put a new focus on the patient's role in healthcare. Obviously, the patient is always front and center, but a pandemic will definitely realign that focus. And patients now more than ever want transparency, agency, and access to care. And after a global pandemic gave people new perspectives on the level of proactive and reactive care that they actually need to stay healthy and in tune with their care systems, that's pushing healthcare organizations to uh, reassess some positive innovations as well to try to meet those desires. And at the end of the day, patient outcomes are really the heart and the soul of healthcare. Innovating from a patient perspective can obviously help the industry achieve better results, and it's all about refocusing to find what are those core needs and how can we build solutions to meet them. So on this episode of Champions of Care, we're joined by Caroline's Kezia Fitzgerald. She's Chief Innovation Officer and Co-Founder of Caroline, and she's gonna be helping us understand what today's patient needs really are, how this places new pressures on care organizations, and which strategies and products prove to be the most effective and flexible for today's needs, adding how she uses her own personal medical experience to develop innovative products that first and foremost prioritize the patient. So again, Kezia Fitzgerald, great to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure sourcing your insights today. Thank you so much for taking some time, and I'm really looking forward to pulling from your background to better understand how you approach innovation in the care space and how you turn big ideas into actionable results and useful tools and strategies. So I want to begin with the foundations of Caroline as an organization and use that as a framework for the rest of our conversation. So as a medical products company, you've grown from your core product line, which started as vascular access products, to an array of uh, personal protection solutions as well. And you now serve thousands of patients across the country in health systems, including Boston's Children's, Cleveland clinics and NYU. So I'm curious, what spurred you to enter the healthcare space in this way, specifically innovating around individual products and solutions as your avenue within the broader space of care and care innovation? Thanks so much. Um, the, the healthcare space really wasn't on my radar originally. I come from an art background. I'm a photographer by education. Um, and so jumping into medical came solely from personal experience. Uh, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2011. And then shortly after my daughter, Searsha was diagnosed with her own cancer. So we were sort of forced into the medical world. 
And we use that patient perspective when we're looking at problems in healthcare. So not only do we look at problems that patients are facing, but we also look at problems that clinicians are facing day to day in their care of patients. And really by focusing on the problems and not just simply trying to create a solution for, you know, something flashy or something that we have thought up in our head that would be cool to make. We really focus on the problem side. And that, I think, is where we are very different at Caroline. Um, just being able to think about what exactly the problem is, how we can try to find every piece of the problem from not only the patient perspective, but the clinical perspective, the safety perspective, and put all those together in a solution that's simple to use, simple to integrate into the current standard of care, and really something that the patients can be comfortable in as well. And that's really how we try to focus on those individual products that come out of those um, problems that we've tried to solve. If you had to draw some distinctions between Caroline and the rest of the field, uh, you know, feel free to get as granular or as general with your answers you'd like. But uh, how often do you actually see some of, uh, I guess, maybe a, a misassessed or misdirected approach to um, medical products and innovation around uh, tools in the care space? Because you mentioned, right, Caroline's main focus is avoiding just launching something because it's flashy or launching something because it's maybe a cool idea and really centering your focus around the patient, right? How often do you see the opposite of that? Is that still a pitfall that uh, hits some care organizations or companies actively and why or why not? So I think the biggest thing that we see is that larger companies especially tend to not bring patients into the conversation early enough. Um, a lot of times they wait until a product has, you know, a minimal viable product. So, you know, you're looking at they've built something and then they want to try to test it on patients versus bringing those patients in when they're talking about the problem at the very beginning. And without bringing those patients to the table at that time, you're losing an entire frame of perspective. You're losing that day-to-day, day-in-and-day-out, 24 hours a day piece that even the nurses who care for patients in the hospital don't see. The people who see that are the patients themselves, and they're either family caregiver or primary caregiver, especially if they're both in the home and in the clinic. So those are pieces that um, really get missed a lot, especially by larger companies. I do see that there are a lot of patient-led or patient-innovated products in smaller companies that really do a good job of bringing that patient perspective to the forefront at the very beginning. And the nice thing about seeing that is that I think larger companies are starting to see that they need to bring the patients in earlier. Um, and it's slowly getting there, but they really need to start getting them in at that very, very first conversation of this is the problem we're having. We need to get more perspectives. Um, and not just the patient perspective. A lot of times they look at, you know, a physician perspective, but don't bring in a bedside nurse. So really getting all of those voices part of the care team, including the patient at the beginning, um, that can make a huge difference to not bringing something even to a minimum product level before it's even launched that isn't going to work for one of those key people. So even without the last year of a pandemic refocusing the attention of care professionals, we've seen a push towards value-based and patient-centric care for maybe the last 10-ish years. 
uh, value-based care specifically being a strategy that is uh, you know on the horizon and actively being worked on across many developed nations in Europe and across North America and South America as well. Uh, I'm curious how you see medical product innovation fitting into that larger ecosystem and trend of reimagining healthcare to be more accessible, more value-based, and more patient-centric, right? What role do you see medical product innovation playing in that ecosystem? Um, and maybe more specifically, where does it support the rest of the ecosystem and where is it supported by said ecosystem, right? Break down that synergy. Yeah. The So what we noticed, especially when we started Caroline, we started um, selling to hospitals in 2013. And what we noticed right away was this conversation around value-based care and what that benefited, especially what we were doing was, is that they were really starting to focus on preventative care for the patient. So a lot of times in previous years prior to value-based care, a lot of the hospitals got money based on the amount of procedures they did. So preventing complications wasn't necessarily a business lucrative side uh, thought process. Preventing those complications meant they didn't have income for the procedures that had to then fix those complications. But with the switch to value-based care, what we really saw was that now they were focusing on preventing those complications, preventing those additional um, procedures, because that was where they weren't getting reimbursed. And that would not, that was now a cost to them versus an income stream. And so that has really shifted to being able to improve safety protocols, um, bring in innovative products that do help the patient prevent complications, that do help limit readmissions into the hospital, allows patients to stay home more safely and not have to spend as much time in the hospital. And every patient and family will tell you, and even clinicians, that patients always heal better at home. You relax, your stress levels go down, it's more comfortable. And if you can safely do that, it's better to do as much healing at home than spend as much time in the hospital. And so when we saw that switch to really focusing on value-based care, that's where we saw the biggest pickup in people looking for Caroline's vascular access products, our pick line sleeves, our central line wraps, because they were able to prevent those complications in a proactive way instead of taking a reactive approach and saying, oh, they had a complication, now let's try to prevent a future one. Really by putting them on right on every patient, they've been able to save costs by lowering their complication rates, lowering their readmission rates, and then their patients have better outcomes, which is better for not only the patient, but the hospital system as well. And we see that a lot of the newer products that are coming out are now looking for ways to prevent those complications. And that is starting to get more um, attention from the hospital systems as far as bringing in innovative products. And that's just better not only for the hospital system and their bottom line because of the switch in the money um, categories, but it's overall better for the patients and the families. You brought it up yourself towards the beginning of the conversation, but uh, the main thing that propelled you into this world was your own experience as a patient uh, going through, uh, you know, the outpatient side of um, the the broader care system, as well as being a mother as well, uh, and and running through that system as well, uh, helping your daughter be a patient through that system as well. And, uh, you know, I, I know that your experience through our care system has been uh, a difficult one, very trying. And so, if possible, I'd like to pull from some of your background there, just to better understand how your time 
in and around that side of the world gave you a better perspective as to what today's patient needs really are and how the right product and the right environment can very drastically impact uh, the feel, the success, and the overall, uh, you know, top to bottom experience basically of being a patient through today's system. So if you don't mind basically breaking down some of your experience through that system and how that helped give you a better understanding of what today's patient needs really are and how products fit into uh, solving some of those needs. So yeah, we, we were really thrown into the medical world and specifically the oncology world very quickly and very drastically. Um, my own diagnosis coming in January of 2011, and then our, my daughter's Searsha's diagnosis coming um, just three months later in, in May. And, you know, for us, it really forced us to see all of those patient needs firsthand. Um, and not only did we see the needs from an adult perspective, but we also saw the needs from a pediatric perspective. And surprisingly, those two worlds are relatively um, different. And it gave us a lot of insight into how that would affect different types of, of patient care. And for us, you know, when we started with these, what are now Caroline sleeves and wraps, they weren't a product. It wasn't something that we were developing to try to bring it to market and create a business out of it. For us, it literally was something that we had to do in order to keep our 11-month-old daughter from chewing on her line and giving herself a bloodstream infection. Um, the hospital, you know, we reached out to them. They didn't have a solution. This pick line, which hangs outside of the arm, you know, it hung right into her little tiny hand. It was a teether. It was a drumstick. It was a toy. It was anything but a medical device. And when we talked to the nurses and the clinicians about how to keep it managed and keep it safe, they, you know, they've said, oh, we'll tape it or cut a stock or it was all makeshift things. There was no, this is the product that helps you do it. So we figured we'd figure out a solution for us because that seemed to be what everybody did. And by making the little sleeve with a little pocket in it and putting it on her, she left it alone. She could go back to playing. She could be, you know, secure on that line. And we could relax and take just a breath of air just to try to keep ourselves from going crazy with all of that was going on around us. But when her nurses came in and said, oh, I can access this without having to take the whole thing off. And, oh, I have a kid next door and, the, you know, that could really use this. And the, the families are knocking on our door asking us where we got it. And the pick nurse, the head of the team who's replacing her line, you know, to a central line is asking if we have a website. We were staring at ourselves going, so this isn't just our problem. <laughs> so it was the realization that something that we thought in our minds was so simple and made sense wasn't something that everybody else thought of. And that was sort of the crossing point of realizing that what we were doing would make a difference for not only our family, but could make a difference beyond um, even just the walls of the hospital we were in. So we were able to very quickly get some products just into some other people's hands, see what they thought of it, get some feedback and just make adjustments as we went. Um, and then we did the same thing. So unfortunately, Sirsha died from her cancer in the end of 2011 and, you know, we sort of had the opportunity to say it would be too hard to work on something so close to our grief. Or the flip side of that coin was being able to 
sort of keep her alive with us and keep her with us by sharing her story and sharing what we were able to create for her so that we could help more than just the people we helped. And so we decided to start Caroline as a company and we found a manufacturer um, here in Massachusetts and we were able to bring sort of a very similar product to market immediately that's very close to what I had designed. But that allowed us to get feedback from clinicians who were in different hospitals and saw different types of patients. And we were able to use that feedback to make very quick iterations and just take that that information and say, okay, we can move that. We can make this pocket bigger. We can cover this top piece so that it doesn't catch on things as easily. Um, and those are the things that were really appreciated by clinicians because that doesn't happen a lot in medical innovation. Companies don't necessarily take the feedback from clinicians because there's a lot of red tape to go through to redesign a product. And we were able to really focus on that piece even right at the beginning. And I think that's what has led us to be able to be so nimble and so adjustable in the products we designed in the future to be able to better serve not only the patient population and from their perspective, but the clinician population and their perspective as well. It's incredible that you've been able to maintain such dedication to this journey that really was thrust upon you and that you, uh, you know, try to take command of and have really turned into, um, you know, something all of its own, even through all of these trying times. So yeah, I just, you know, send you my applause and my positive energy and love through all of this as well. Um, you know, I am curious also how you have adjusted Caroline's vision as a company, uh, because again, you started with your vascular access products, but then as of late, you've also transitioned to adding um, personal protective equipment to your portfolio of products. And uh, you know, obviously, COVID introduced many new challenges for care organizations, not only to treat COVID patients, but also to maintain an operational and safe environment for staff and non-COVID patients alike. Uh, so could you track some of that thought process on Caroline's part on how you responded to the changing demands that COVID introduced and then what impact you saw, um, you know, your fresh product line have on care professionals as you ideated it and brought it to market? So the pandemic really was something that fell on everybody's laps and was unexpected. Being in the medical device field already, having a local manufacturer here in Massachusetts, um, one of the benefits that we had as a company was because we were creating medical devices, we had the ability to keep our manufacturer open. So we were able to keep that manufacturing facility open and running because they were deemed an essential business. So we didn't have to deal with any of the, the factory shutdowns, which we thought was great because we could still supply the hospitals with the products that they were using to keep their patients safe and also keep their patients out of the hospital for unnecessary readmissions. And that, especially during COVID, was hugely important because they couldn't take in unnecessary capacity. Um, they needed to be able to keep the beds clear for COVID patients. And so once we started hearing from the clinicians that they were going to be, you know, they were reaching out to us and saying, we may be lowering our ordering this year just because we have to focus on COVID and we're not doing as many quote unquote elective procedures, which meant that some of these line procedures wouldn't be done. We started thinking about how we could help them be less strained during um, the pandemic because we saw exactly what 
what's happening. We have a very close advisor who's in infectious diseases in uh, Cleveland. Um, she works at Rainbow Babies, which is part of the UH hospital system. And we reached out to her directly and said, what are you struggling with? We had all by March started hearing about mask shortages and we were sort of expecting to hear that masks would be something that they would be needing. But she actually surprised us by telling us that isolation gowns were something that wasn't being focused on, but they were literally going to run out of. So we started talking to her and PPE experts, other infectious disease specialists, and really asking questions about, okay, what does it need to do? How much does it need to protect? And what are the pitfalls in the current gowns that you're using that we could potentially improve upon because we're starting from scratch? Um, we didn't have to do a cookie cutter design. We could take those things that they were having trouble with and improve upon them to help increase the protection because of this unprecedented virus. And so we were able to find a U.S. manufacturer of um, reusable isolation gown fabric. They had actually started um, making this fabric specifically for COVID called uh, Millican Textiles, which is in the Carolinas. And we were able to source from them. And then so the benefit to reusable fabric is number one, it can be used a um, hundred times versus once for a disposable. And two, um, it's been shown that disposables, even if they test um, that they are protective in the factory, they oftentimes want times once they get into the field, fail actual tests. So they're not as protective in the field as a reusable fabric. So this is based on fabric technology improvements over the past 10 years or so. Um, and so we really were focusing on sustainability. We wanted something that was going to be sustainable to manufacture, sustainable for um, hospitals to warehouse and store um, so they can store one one hundredth of the product in order to get the same coverage. Um, but also the cost was way lower because you're looking at, uh, you know, 30 to 40 cents per use uh, for a reusable versus anywhere between a dollar 50 and at, sometimes at the height of, pan of the pandemic, $8 per use for a disposable. And so we were really looking to help save um, clinicians money, help save the systems um, with waste and warehouse space and really help the manufacturing be able to ramp up at a faster speed because, you know, you have to do one one hundredth of the manufacturing time. So those were all things that we really looked into. And because we are always looking for the best ways to solve a problem, not just the fastest way to solve a problem, um, I think that we were sort of uniquely prepared to focus on really making something that could sustain through the pandemic and help a lots of smaller practice. Um, lots of smaller practices couldn't afford or need to buy thousands of disposable gowns, which was sometimes the minimum order. Um, and then, you know, schools, you know, they didn't have a budget for this, but they needed to be able to reopen. So we helped a number of school systems, um, dental workers, because they all of a sudden had to be in full PPE all the time, which is different for them. It's not something that they um, were previously doing. So, you know, we were really glad that we were able to help in those situations. Um, and we did do a run of masks because I personally, I had had a bone marrow transplant in November of 2019. And so I had gone into a mandated quarantine starting in November. Um, and when I came home from the hospital in December, I had to be 100 days in isolation. And my isolation actually ended on March 9th of 2020. <laughs> so on March 13th, my son came home from school and never went back. So wow. um, I was basically in quarantine for four months prior to the quarantine starting for COVID. And so I was already wearing 
wearing a mask outside at a night, an N95 or higher, I was already, you know, really focusing on the, um, the whole idea of protecting myself from airborne viruses or anything, just, you know, somebody walking down the street and sneezing. But that was because I had the immune system of a newborn and had no defenses against anything. And so we as a family were prepared because <laughs> we were already doing this. We had been doing this on and off for 10 years. When, when you're on chemo, a lot of times you have no um, immune defenses. So you're always protecting yourself. And so for us, we said, all right, what are the things that we need? And one of them was a very good quality, well-fitting mask. And so we were able to to build that as well and be able to help those patients who use our vascular access products be able to have protection for when they couldn't find a protective mask as well. I love that you've focused on the impact on the supply chain because obviously, uh, you know, COVID shook up the supply chain regardless and revealed a lot of deficiencies there. Uh, and when it was struggling to meet demand and stay operational, you were introducing a product that immediately addressed those needs. So I find that, uh, you know, in- incredibly cogent and something that I think is going to give a lot of longevity to something like this. I'm also curious how you've maneuvered the operational side of this. Obviously, disposable products have their own sort of, uh, you know, use directives as well as disposal directives. Uh, but when you're dealing with something reusable, it means it needs to be washed a certain way, sanitized a certain way, uh, and then, you know, guaranteed that it can be used, you know, in the care setting again and not be a vehicle for contracting any, uh, you know, extra viruses, et cetera, et cetera, through the care space. So I'm curious how you've pushed that continued education for professionals. Do you have any strategies there that have worked? And how have you seen care professionals maneuver some of these new operations in real time? Yeah, so I think that was the biggest challenge that we had to overcome when we decided to go reusable was sort of representing and educating those purchasers on the benefits of doing the reusable versus the disposable system. Um, we were lucky that we were working with the Massachusetts emergency response team and we were um, granted a grant from them to build out our manufacturing. So that was definitely helpful in getting things going. Um, and what we found for the most part was that especially smaller practices were really welcome to saving the, the costs and saving the storage space. And for the most part, they recognized that, um, washing them was going to be just something that was part of that process. Um, a lot of s- smaller practices that are at dental offices have washing in-house because they have other types of things that they have to wash. So they were able to do it in-house. Um, and then some larger um, places, they would connect with a laundry facility and they would be able to um, use their, their laundry services that they have in their clinic to send them out. Um, and we were lucky that the company that created the fabric did provide great washing instructions that were were detailed, but at the same time, it's not a complicated system and it's not very different than what they were doing for other washing processes for their clinics. And so they were able to have their their laundry facilities jump right in and be able to to take that piece for them. We were able to assist them with figuring out how many units they would need based on how often they would be washing them. And that was something that we were really proud of was being able to do those calculations for them and help them with that. Um, and that was able to, you know, really help assist them in focusing on caring for their patients versus 
constantly needing to find PPE. It gave them a little bit of breathing room and a lot of them are really happy to to have that to be able to refocus their attentions on the patient care versus having to just constantly figure out where they were going to get their next delivery of gowns. And so that, you know, for us felt really good that we could give them that little bit of breathing room. So if we have to take what worked from your reusable gown, uh, you know, ideation strategy, launch strategy, and education strategy, and apply it elsewhere in the medical product world, the innovative medical product world. How would you say that strategies that did work can be applied elsewhere to help maybe reduce waste, lift pressure on the supply chain, or uh, you know, combat some deficient operations within care organizations? What is applicable, would you say, and why? I think the biggest thing that we learned is that reusable is a sustainable option and it is an option that can work. One of the things that we got um, confronted with a number of times with our vascular access products and even the, the PPE as well was, you know, if you make it disposable, then they can just throw it out and then it fits into their system. I mean, you have to think about medical as from the patient perspective, especially when you go into a hospital, you realize how much gets thrown away every single day. Everything has a packaging on it. Everything is plastic. Everything's disposable. And there are definitely pieces that that is important. And there are definitely pieces where it has to be for sterility, for safety. um, And that definitely makes sense. But there are definitely instances where reusability could be looked upon as a way to not only cut waste, which is a cost that, you know, comes to not only the fact of the environment, but also the hospital pays based on how much waste they produce. But also when you think about, you know, the comfort factor, you know, like a plastic disposable something like a sheet or something like that is not as comfortable for a patient as a cloth one. Um, And thinking about how we could use that patient perspective and that patient-centered thought process and figure out how can we not only make the patient more comfortable, but increase the sustainability of items for the hospital as well. Um, and with our products, we never wanted it to be a disposable item because that we felt was not sustainable for the patient, especially because if they had to replace it, that's a, a cost to them um, that we didn't want to pass on to them. But also for the hospital, if they had to constantly be changing it every single day, that was going to be something that was not sustainable for the care practice as well and the day-to-day care of that patient. So by making it um, a durable medical equipment product, so we do, we are a DME product, something that goes to the patient, it stays with that patient in the care facility and when they go home, by making it that, it allowed it to be more sustainable and more cost-effective and really have a bigger impact on the overall care. And that's something that I think really could be focused on more um, as medical innovation comes down the pipeline from different perspectives of, can we do this in a way that's not just a disposable, even if it's disposable eventually, can we do it in a way that can be reused for that patient over a number of times so that we can, you know, reduce that impact. So my last question for you, Kezia, and thank you so much for all your insights so far. Uh, really what I'd like to ask is how you approach bringing the right people to the table to help conceive of all of this. Because 
Of course, the vision here is to not only make this patient-centric, but to also make this a tool that is accessible to physicians, something that they can build into their day-to-day -day operations, uh, and something that also reflects their needs and tries to address some of those uh, operational deficiencies that we saw COVID accelerate and or bring to light. So break that down for us. How do you work alongside all these disparate parties to make products turn into a reality? And who really needs to be at the table to take a product from the vision stage to an actual finished product? So that I think is a really important piece to all of this. And I think that it's something that COVID really sort of brought out in a lot of these innovations that came to market quickly. The ones that were the most successful brought more parties to the table at the very beginning. The, those were the ones that were able to make those iterations quickly, fail fast, recover fast, and really be able to bring a product to market faster than typical because, you know, typically you're looking at years of development in order to bring a product, a product to market, especially a medical product. And that was something that when COVID happened, didn't have, we didn't have the time to wait years for something to come onto the market and be viable for use. So I think that that was a really great teaching piece. And I think that what we've learned over the years is we needed to bring in not only the patient perspective, which not just, which didn't just come from us because we are only one individual set of patients. We only have one individual perspective on that experience. And so by bringing in patients from different um, experiences, different diagnoses, different, um, you know, personal points in their life, that was al allowing us to take their perspective and add it into ours, but also then bringing in the clinical perspective, talking to the physicians who place the lines, talking to the nurses who care for them, talking to the um, physician's assistants who see them when they come in for complications and what that experience is like. So by bringing those types of people to the table and really thinking about all of the individuals that will interact with that specific problem at some point, that really helps us to be able to focus in on the different perspectives and then try to incorporate in the one solution all of the pieces that need to be solved. And for us, that has meant, you know, really working with clinicians to talk about standard of care and how things are working. Healthcare changes quickly. Um, when, since we started in 2013, over the past, you know, eight years, we have really seen some major changes in increased safety protocols for vascular access lines. Um, and one of them is reducing disconnection at the site when unnecessary. So we were able to work with clinicians over the past five years and think about a different way to change our design of our product. And we now have a pro plus line that's come out that is able to fit better into their inpatient workflow. And that's able to allow them to incorporate our product on more patients. And we're able to have an impact on helping more patients than we did before. So that has been really great to, to talk to the clinicians and just say, you know, yes, you are seeing firsthand all of these quick changes that happen in healthcare to improve safety, how can we assist in becoming part of that solution and not working against that solution? And I think on that note of collaboration, we'll end today's conversation. Thank you so much, Kezia. It's really been a pleasure uh, breaking down your perspective and how you've taken your journey through the care experience and uh, you know analyzing what that was like for you and your family and turning that into uh, some actionable improvements and innovations to the rest of the space has really been a pleasure unpacking today. So thank you again. We've been speaking with Kezia Fitzgerald. She's Chief Innovation Officer and Co-Founder of Caroline. 
And Kezia, if folks want to find out more about Caroline's products or approach, methodology, regardless, how can they get in touch and how can they learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And so it's really easy to find us. We're caroline.com. So it's C-A-R-E-A-L-I-N-E.com. And uh, you can find our information on there and feel free to contact us. And then we have a store for patients as well to be able to purchase the products themselves if they don't have access through their hospital. So reach out anytime. We're happy to help. Fantastic. Kezia, thank you again. And I'm looking forward to speaking again soon. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching another episode of Champions of Care, a champion chair podcast. If you like what you saw and heard today and would like some previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future conversations, make sure that you're heading to our website, championchair.com, as well as subscribing to Champions of Care on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Champions of Care.